Acts 6, verse number 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring um, of the Grecians against the Hebrews, the Hellenistic Christians against the uh, uh, more fundamental Jews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and Icanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. We heard that earlier this morning. We ask Heavenly Father that you would bring to our attention things that we ought to do as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we might experience some of the blessings that are described uh, in this paragraph and that we might go on to uh, further glorify our Redeemer. Bless our afternoon and these uh, efforts to learn more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We have a, a special purpose this afternoon. The ordination of our first deacon in more than 30 years. Some time ago, in preparation for this day, we had five lessons on the subject of deacons. I have no intention of repeating those lessons now or even to give you a brief summary of them, even though they may not really be fresh in your memories. This was two and a half years ago. But I will assume that Calvary Baptist Church still possesses the principles that we tried to lay, da lay down in regard to deacons. And with those principles in mind, let us start this afternoon at the end, and then we'll go back to the beginning. In Acts 6, we see the creation of the office of deacon there in the church in Jerusalem. We see seven men who were already servants in a sense. They were already deacons in a sense, but they were officially set into the new church office that was called deacon. By that I mean they were already actively serving the Lord and his church. But here we see them appointed, set, and we'll even use the word ordained into the ecclesiastical office of deacon. I acknowledge that the word deacon is not found in these six verses. But I've never found any commentator or any preacher who denied that we're talking about the deacons here. We're talking about deacons. But what do I mean by beginning at the end? For that, please notice verse number seven. 
In my Bible, this verse is at the end of the paragraph that starts in verse number one. And the following verse, eight, excuse me, verse number seven, begins a new paragraph. In other words, this verse number, excuse me, verse number eight begins a new paragraph. Verse number seven is a part of the context. It's a part of the discussion around the deacons. The need of those deacons was due to the fact that the Lord was blessing. I am not going to try to tell you that if we had seven deacons, the number of God's disciples in our church would automatically begin to multiply. I will not try to tell you if we had three deacons or one deacon or seven deacons that all of a sudden we're going to start to see people coming to Christ to buy great numbers week after week after week. I'm not going to tell you that. But the need, the need for those deacons was due to the fact that the word of God was already increasing in that church. There were already a, a large number of people, even a company of priests that have come to put their faith in Christ Jesus. Because of a need, we see that church choosing and ordaining deacons. However, if the blessings of God are found in the same paragraph where we find a discussion of the deacons, then there's some meaning in that. There's some substance to that. As it was in Jerusalem, I want to see companies of people, men and women and even priests, coming to the Savior. I'd like to see some of the same sort of problems that were in that church because of their rapid growth. I wouldn't mind seeing those problems in this church, requiring the need for other workers of different kinds. It would be great if every non-evangelical church in Post Falls, if every synagogue and every mosque in Post Falls was angry with us, because their members were being saved and baptized in joining our church. I'd be happy with that kind of relationship to those other churches. It would mean that God was doing something here. If there is a correlation between these blessings that are described here and the problems that we see earlier in this church, then I want to make sure that we duplicate that correlation and let the Lord bless or punish us, give us trials as he sees fit. I am not so naive as to think that God will bless us with great revival because of what we're doing this afternoon. That would be foolish. But again, what we're doing is biblical, so there is automatically the blessing of God involved. And we'll let the Lord decide how to bless. In that regard, built on those earlier lessons, let's consider the use and the misuse of the office of deacon. Let's start with some of the misuse. Each of the points that I'm going to bring up are things that I have witnessed in other Baptist churches or I have read in, uh, in reading Baptist history. If they're new to you, if these things have never crossed your mind, praise the Lord. 
And while you're at it, pray that these things never arise in our church. But they have arisen in other places. First, despite various appearances, the office of deacon is not an entirely secular office. Obviously, those first deacons were recommended and elected in order to take, to take care of some of the secular needs of the church widows and orphans. We read the words waiting on tables here. Earlier in the book of Acts, we were told that the people of the church, as a general rule, sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. That's chapter 2 and verse number 45. And then, and at least initially, neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the price of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to every man according as he had need. That's chapter 4. Two chapters later. Unfortunately, the church exploded in growth. And some of the silent and most needy members of the church were being left out of this distribution. The uh, widows didn't have much of a voice, shall we say. They were being left out. And even though individual members should have assisted other needy members, I'll come back to that, the fact is that in those early days, many of the members of the church were selling everything that they had, giving everything that they didn't need specifically for their own day-to-day -day responsibilities, giving that to the church. So they didn't have extra denarii or uh, uh, pesos or mites to share with the poorer people of the church. While the original service of those deacons was to take care of this deficit, notice the qualifications that's described here in this chapter. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. Make sure that they are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. The deacon's second responsibility may have included food and rent and utility payments for some of the older and more limited saints. But their first responsibility was to be exemplary servants of God, full of the Spirit, service, and wisdom. Their primary focus was to be on the Lord, and being well-equipped there, they became serviceable in other areas. The lesson becomes this. Today, when a church goes out searching for a potential deacon, they shouldn't look for members who are the most successful in the business world. Their goal should not be to find those members that have uh, uh, MBAs from big name colleges, who have expertise in finances and accounting and that sort of thing. When you read the qualifications for the office of deacon given to us by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 
You read of things pertaining to Christian character. You read of things like godly morality. In other words, the place to look for future deacons is at the church prayer meeting, not the business meeting. Look for those who are at the altar in the holy place, not at the money changers' tables out there in the courtyard. In these areas, the office of deacon ceases to be simply a secular position. It takes on a spiritual character in regard to this secular responsibility. Also, the office of deacon is neither judgmental nor governmental. I have heard of a Baptist church which told its pastor, or gave to its pastor, a list of subjects about which he was not supposed to preach. Now, I'm going to assume that it was uh, the, it, the deacons came up with the list, not the general membership. I have read about deacons who listen carefully to every sermon, jotting down notes, and judging every aspect of every message. Then when there were things which they thought, in their infinite wisdom, was not in accord to the word of God, it was their responsibility as deacons to stand in the face of the pastor and correct him. It was their job. It comes with the name deacon or the title deacon, or at least so they thought. I've also known churches where the pastor was obligated to go to the deacons in order to buy paper clips and push pins to go on the bulletin board. He had no responsibility in areas like that. That belongs to the deacon. That belongs to them. There, there is, in other words, the churches in these cases were governed by the deacon board. The deacon board. In those churches, the pastor is not the under-shepherd listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. No, he's the sheepdog taking orders from the real master of the sheep, the deacon board. But, biblically, and before God, there is no such thing as a deacon board. It doesn't exist. You won't find it in the Word of God. In scriptural churches... There are pastors, who are sometimes called elders and sometimes called bishops. And then there are certain men who are designated as deacons. There are no other official biblical offices in the Lord's church. The words deacon and deacons are found five times in the Bible. It's not really common. But the Greek word diakonos is used 29 times. But in addition to deacon, where it's transliterated, it's translated servants, minister, waiter, attendant. There is no judgmental or governmental aspect to the biblical office of deacon. He is a servant. Nothing more, nothing less. He is a willing servant. He should be a joyful 
servant. But servant nevertheless. If they are not willing servants, they want to be masters, then there needs to be some method of decommissioning the guy. He's no longer a deacon. If you're not deaconing, you're not a deacon. Several times recently, Brother Kilgard has said to me, or said publicly, something to the effect, I don't want my election as deacon to be an issue of popularity. You did say that sort of thing. That's my next point. The office of deacon is not a popularity office. And it's not an honor that we bestow on someone who has diligently been serving the Lord. Just like the call of a pastor, there should not be ten candidates, seven of which we will call deacon if they get the majority of the votes. Every candidate should be considered on his own merits and the qualifications which are given to us here and in Timothy. Every candidate should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every candidate should already be serving the Lord. I'm not saying that the deacon should come from among the least loved and least appreciated members. But at the same time, it's not about popularity. Furthermore, the office of deacon is not an undisciplined office. It is not something beyond discipline. There are Baptist churches in which the deacons are so authoritative, so authoritarian, that they decide who should become new members and whether old members should be retained. They make the decisions. For example, they are so closely connected to the financial office. They know whether member so-and-so is contributing sufficiently to the ongoing of the church to adequately maintain his membership. And they, with a watchful eye, keep track of who comes and who goes. And if so-and-so hasn't been here long enough, it is in our opinion as deacons that uh, he or she ought to be kicked out of the church. They also make the decisions in regard to themselves, which in fact, in effect, means <laughs> they can do whatever they choose to do without impunity. <laughs> We're the deacons. No deacon board has ever kicked out another deacon from the board, at least to my knowledge. Again, where in the scriptures do we see deacons with this kind of power? What do deacons do in the Word of God? They serve. And what about the tenure of the deacon? Deacons, are they elected for life? That's certainly the opinion of a great many churches, if not in actual policy, in effect. That's the way it is. Since the Bible doesn't give us any direction in this regard, I would say that the office of deacon is open-ended. Just leave it at that. By that I mean it's not permanent. It is not 
inviolate. Deacons can resign and should resign when the Holy Spirit shows them that they can no longer do the work, serve. And those deacons can be removed when the church feels that it is necessary. I'll come back to this in a minute. But Philip, for example, was not a deacon when he died. And the office of deacon is not a rotating position. Some churches, perhaps because they have experienced and uh, felt some of these problems to which I've just suggested, have uh, written into their constitutions that the deacons only serve for X number of years. One, two, three, five years. And over, and many of those churches have staggered the introduction of new deacons so that uh, two are elected this year and two fall away, and three are elected and two fall away. And so there's always this rotation of deacons. The ones that have been there for a while and know how things are run can tell the young ones how they're supposed to order the church to behave. Again, for whatever reason, good or bad, that is not wise simply because it's not scriptural. It doesn't matter how much sense it makes in the business world. It's not found in the Bible, and so it's just not wise for the church to implement that sort of thing. The office of deacon is not permanent, nor should it have predetermined time limits set on it. And this raises one more question, which should never come up. But I'll bring it up because it brings a smile to my face. When a man is ordained as a deacon in one church, if he moves his membership to another church, should he carry with him the title of deacon to the second church? Does the office of deacon in one church extend to another? In reality, this is a silly question, but it's, it is one which churches have had to deal with in the past because of the power of the deacon board. Since each church is autonomous, what one church, like Jerusalem, decides does not apply to Antioch or anywhere else. If Stephen or Procurus or Nicanor want to move their membership from Jerusalem to Antioch, then that affects, that is their decision, and uh, uh, they leave behind their, their relationship with their former church. And if Procurus decides to move to Antioch, he would do so as any other saint. And if Antioch at some point in time should say, we need another deacon, then they should look through their membership and, oh, procure. Procurus looks like a, a good fellow, and we examine whether or not he's filled with the Spirit of God, if he's been serving the Lord or not, and Antioch makes his own decision about this man, whether he should be a deacon. It's just that simple. But again, it is their decision alone. No, the office of deacon is not transferable. Now we come to the second part of my message. The biblical character of the deacon's office. It's relatively simple. 
The deacon's office is to be used to enable the church's pastors or elders to spend more time in prayer and the study of the Word of God. That's it. It's a deacon's task as spiritual-filled men to carry out the daily ministration of the church, primarily among the members of that church. The Grecian widows were being neglected, and apparently they were living unnecessarily in poverty. The deacons were to seek out those members who were in need and then minister to those needs on behalf of the congregation. If and when a deacon forgets the meaning of diakonos, he disqualifies himself from that office. And by the way, if that deacon is married, he and his wife should be considered a team of sorts. In Paul's instructions to Timothy, he first describes some of the qualifications of a bishop, a pastor. And then he adds, likewise must the deacons be grave and double, not double-tongued and so on. He gives a, a short list of things there. And then he adds, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. A good man, no matter how faithful and spiritual, will not be an efficient deacon if his wife is not right there at his side spiritually and in character and in a willingness to serve. Husband and wife. And in that regard, Romans 16.1 tells us that Phoebe was a servant of the church which is in Centria. And the word servant there in Romans chapter 16 and verse number 1 is the feminine form of diakonos. I do not believe that churches should have an official office of deaconess. I have found Baptist churches that did. But every church should have many ladies willing to serve. And for that deacon to serve properly, he needs to be united to a good deaconess. While to be a deacon is to be in the office of a servant, it is also an honorable office. In our testimony this morning, James uh, Chalice praised the tender counsel and the care that he received from uh, uh, the man who made him his apprentice, a man that he called Deacon Mulford. Personally, I think that if young Chalice wanted to call his mentor Deacon Mulford, that's perfectly fine. But if Mulford insisted that Chalice and other members of the church always address him as Deacon Mulford, then that church perhaps should have re-examined the man to see whether or not uh, he deserves the title at all. We all have a pride problem. Didn't that come up in a lesson this morning? We're all filled with pride to some degree. Pastors... It comes with the territory. Whenever there's anyone looking at us, 
There's the possibility of pride. And that includes in the area of deacons. As a sin, which God especially hates, the book of Proverbs, it should be considered something which disqualifies men from those offices. Just as it might be said that there's honor due under the office of the President of the United States, that doesn't necessarily mean that the man in that office is honorable. To be a deacon is to be in an honorable position of service. Now, let's make sure that the deacon or the pastor is worthy of that honor. We might also say that the office of deacon is an open office. While Stephen was a servant of the church, he was not confined to waiting on tables. He was witnessing of Christ in various synagogues throughout Jerusalem. And deacon Philip ministered in that office for some time. We don't know how long it was. But eventually, he ended up with the title of evangelist. He was no longer Deacon Philip. We should assume that spirit-filled servants of God are going to continue to grow in the Lord. It should be true of all of us. And those whom God chooses and especially equips will move on to other areas of service, perhaps becoming bishops themselves, if the Lord so chooses. We might say that the office of deacon should not be narrowed to only the daily ministration of tables. It should be as broad as the Lord would like it to be. And in that regard, assuming that his health is sufficient, Brother Kilgard will be bringing our Sunday school lesson next week. I announced the title of this message as the use and misuse of the deacon's office, but I'd like to add one more point. It's a major point, but I won't keep you very long. We all need to consider the abuse of the deacon. There's the use, the misuse, and the abuse of the deacon's office. And that abuse can come in two forms. These are all my ideas, so you can improve on them later. First, just because Brother Kilgard is our deacon, that doesn't mean that he is your slave. He may know how to install a transmission in a car. Just because your car needs a transmission doesn't mean that you have to tell him to install the thing. He may know how to put on a roof. Your house needs a roof. Go hire a roofer. Come on, he's not your slave. Well, I am their brother. You are a brother, and he may volunteer to do your roof. <laughs> but that's up to him, not you. Remember, the primary function of the deacon is to release more time for the study and the preaching of the word. And then, second, the deacon is not your replacement in the service of God. If there is a need among the members or if there's something that ought to be done and you could do it, do it. Don't go running to the deacon to say, oh, there's a need over here. I don't want to do it. You do it. That's 
That's abuse. We all have responsibilities as part of the body of Christ in Post Falls. And we shouldn't ask the finger to do what the foot should do. If you know of a widow in our church or an orphan in need, and you can meet that need, don't come to me to order our deacon to do something about that need. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. James 2.8 Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6.2 the Lord Jesus said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. She love one another. Not that ye order one another around. The Lord has called us all to be servants. Even though we may not all fill the office of deacon. Don't abuse the office. And finally, what about the process of establishing an office of deacon? Here in Acts chapter 6, the pastors of the church decided that there was a need. Since they were men of the word and of prayer, since they were ministering to a large group of people, we should assume that the Lord, in some fashion, maybe through some individuals, led the pastors of the church, the, the disciples, to recognize the need and gave to those leaders the solution. They went to the church, they explained the need, they asked the congregation for their recommendations as deacons, and after some unspecified deliberation, seven men were chosen and set before the apostles. Then in a simple ceremony, the twelve laid their hands on the seven, and it was done. It was done. In just a moment, I'm going to ask brothers Fulton and Kilgard to join me up here. I'll ask uh, Brother Fulton to step up onto the platform and tell Brother Kilgard to stand down below, only because he's taller than us. There's no special implication. No shame in being on the ground floor. Then I will lead in prayer. Then uh, Brother Fulton and I will put a hand on. I prefer to put my hand on Brother Kilgard's shoulder rather than his head. I'll let Brother Fulton do whatever he wishes to do. I do have uh, hand sanitizer if you wish to do it that way. I need the oil. We will put our hands on Brother Kilgard, not in order to convey Holy Spirit power to the man, not to make him more powerful than he already is, just as a simple signification of our setting this man apart. And if someone wants to call it an ordination, I won't quarrel with them, but I'm not going to call it that. We're just setting Brother Kilgard apart to the position that you have already voted to him. Following that, we'll once again look to the Lord, beseeching him to make the word of God increase 
and to make the number of the disciples to multiply here in Post Falls. But the Lord will bless. So at this point, I'll have these two brethren come forward. Brother Fulton's coming as a, an ordained minister of the gospel. <coughs> and I don't want to stand up here all by myself. <laughs> Let's have a word of prayer. Father, it, it is our desire for your blessing on Post Falls. It's our desire that you would bless Calvary Independent Baptist Church. Mm. That you might enable us to lead many to Christ. Men, women, children, even from among the priests. We thank you for this brother who has for 35 plus years been a servant here. We rejoice and, and we are filled with gratitude to him personally. And we thank you for this blessing. We pray, Father, that you would continue to use us for your honor and glory. Mm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I present to you our deacon. Lord bless you, sir. Please stand. You are dismissed. Congratulations, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>